0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: Today's show is brought to you by the BC Club. This is the best club you will ever join. But don't take our word for it. Here are some BC Clubbers saying some amazing things. Ross Boomershine writes, "This is the best club I've ever joined." Charla <laughs> Hyatt says, "Guys, this is the best club I've ever joined." And Jonathan Nelson said to the, said this to Jesus in a prayer. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) This is the best club I've ever joined. And lastly, our own Devin Shelton writes, the guys made me join. Shit. But it's the best club I've ever joined. (laughs) If if you love this podcast, then join today. BC Club, where evil is clubbed
0: to death and Jesus DJs EDM raves. Today's podcast is also sponsored by three different podcasts. If you subscribed and told your friends about PWNA, which is Pastor With No Answers, Break It Down, and The Unstoppable Badass those are our three other podcasts that we do for drug money. If you're in debt, if you are in a bad place in life, if you have nowhere else to turn, then we are not the podcast for you. But if you like crazy shit, <laughs> then check out PWNA, Break It Down, and The Unstoppable Badass today.
2: You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast.
0: Guns out for Harambe. Three,
1: two, one, hit it! <laughs>
3: In this life, the one thing you can count on is the Big Christian Podcast. It's the one thing, the only thing that'll help you through your day. Okie okay, doke. Very good. Toby, you've been doing some writing. That seems oh, like you're in, oh, the, been, you're in the creative flow. I am flow. <laughs> I mean, I you am don't flow. have
0: anything to say to me? <laughs> I have a flow. You don't have anything to say to me, Matt?
1: No, I, I don't. Maybe something I mean, will come up later. Matt? But do not <laughs> piss him off. I've seen Joey angry. Do not piss him off about creativity. Uh,
3: Speaking of creativity, let me tell you guys something, and I'll catch you up on something. And by you guys, I mean everybody out there. You might have seen something from us today. It's an announcement. We don't have a lot of big announcements, but this one's exciting. Uh, We signed and are signed, if you want to use that word, but BC Music has a new artist that we're partnered with. The artist is called Lowercase Noises. And here's what's kind of special about this is – this is one of the first bands or artists that we've worked with that is not uh, somebody we previously knew or has put out multiple records on a big label or something like that. This is some. This is essentially a newer or uh, somebody who's never been on a label before, and he hasn't been exposed. He hasn't been exposed right. yet. So I'm not trying to undersell what he's already accomplished on his own because it's phenomenal. However, uh, is it for us? It's dipping our toe into something like breaking a new band it's something yeah. something we've never really done and there's a bunch yeah. of coincidences here and he's somebody that we've run into and somebody that's accomplished a ton on his own the guy who does lowercase noises his name is andy and i cannot tell you the craziest thing about it is how many times when i mention it or say it somebody goes oh yeah i know i know him or i follow him on youtube or i've seen stuff he did i mean i just just one of our uh guys jake that works on the show here was just telling me that today that he'd found him a long time ago. He knew what he was. And Andy makes incredible music. It's like I don't really want to talk about it that much or try to describe the music. It's something you have to, like, experience. So I'm, I'll let the music do the talking. I'm not going to describe what it's like. But you can go to Lowercase Noise's Facebook page to see what he is like and what his art is. But we love it. And I think it's going to be huge. I really, it's, I mean, I don't think it is. It's going to. As a Donald Trump would say, people are telling me this is going to be huge. It will be. It's going to be <laughs> tremendous. It's tremendous. And so, uh, or oh, you can find his Facebook page and like it. We shared it today, and we got no call to action, no big thing that I want you to do. I'm not looking for email addresses or uh, downloads or anything. I just want to introduce you to some phenomenal music. So you guys like it, don't you?
0: I'm super excited, man. It does like it. Kind of takes me back to the days when I was in college, and I was anticipating all these new tooth and nail bands, like brand new names, never heard of them. And now it's like I get to be a part of putting out Mm -hmm. brand new stuff that people haven't heard. So for me, it's really exciting and doubly exciting. It's just super, super good. What what
3: are you, Joey, like co-third executive producer? I mean, there's got to be some title. I mean, technically, we're executive producers on this type of thing, right? Co-executive producer, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Please (laughs) put my name on everything. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure.
3: <laughs> well, um, we're gonna hear, like I said, we're gonna hear more from Andy and we'll have stuff and other stuff to feature in, in the near future. But I just want everybody to be aware that we're we as BC Music are moving on. We're gonna focus this next whole year on a bunch of good releases, um, but not a ton of new artists. But this one we're gonna focus on. Uh we got a Matt and Toby record that's in process. We're gonna do more than one uh Emery project, at classic crime. We're going to focus on some in house stuff for the large part of 2017, but this lowercase noises is going to be a big deal. So, you know, you guys are lucky. You're going to get in the know on it quick quickly. So, go check out his videos, see what's going on. Um, we've got a great guest today, and we're going to be talking about church and men. It's a topic we've been flirting with, and Toby particularly has been into. So, Toby found this guy that's going to be on the show. So, looking for, his name is David Murrow. And he's an author. So he'll be on in just a little bit. Um, we don't have a ton of time to do everything. And why men hate going to church is the book. Yep. There you
0: go. Thank you, Toby. Um, I wish Toby, we had you time. Really, you really have gone after this hardcore, man. Yeah. Toby's I mean, into you the have, masculinity you are, thing. You are running after this. I mean, well, I'm, you're, I, there's you're in things. a race. Yeah. I'm passionate about
1: men. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs>
1: There's no other way to say it. That There's is. no other way to say it. Is that your calling? I'm
3: passionate is is that about your, them. It's his calling. It's just men. Yeah. His passion a, and his
1: calling. I have a
0: calling that is a passion for men.
1: Yeah, right. He's
3: very passionate
1: yes. about and with men.
0: Yeah. Right. I love it. Hey, that well, sure. sounds like an unshakable vision you got there, brother. All, All right. right. So like... let
3: me tell y'all, if you don't see me next week, it's because I'm having a baby.
0: So, yeah. Congratulations in advance, because I, I don't want to probably Thanks. tell you again. Thanks. And I've got lined
3: up uh, as a standby if, I, if it should happen to happen near the podcast day. And if I'm not here next week or the week after, Seth Studley is going to sit in my chair here. So we'll do the show as normal. And Seth, our old drummer who's been on the podcast yeah. before, will sit here and talk to you guys. So it's y- crazy you may when him he's... as Beef
1: Studley from our yeah. Wikipedia page.
0: Yeah, right. when, you look, when you look at Seth and you don't hear him or anything, you think, man, that guy doesn't have anything to offer. He probably doesn't yeah. have a whole lot of talent. But then when he sits yeah. behind a microphone, it blows your mind. It's yeah. surprising. He's on. It's shocking just what yeah. that short little guy can do. Hey, I want to tell y'all something real quick. Uh, I know we, we're going to be interviewing Murrow here, but uh, the, all this racial stuff is is crazy. What's going on in, in the country? I know we've talked about it before, but I have to tell you that I actually saw something up close in a way that just, it, it really blew my mind. All right, so y'all know that we've started uh, a house church on Sunday nights that you know, maybe in time we will replicate in, in different parts of the country. But I'll, I'll tell you this there's there's got to be something good about when people get together every single night somebody cries. You got to be doing something right. I think well, you don't care about spirituality or yeah, they, they do do something's going horribly, they do horribly wrong. Too, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, but anyway, listen to this. So we're talking about racial stuff, and there's a couple in our small group that adopted uh, an African American girl. And she's probably about four or five years old. She is extremely bright. Not just saying that. She really is uh, smarter than most of her peers. And I'm telling you, the mother, who and I know both of these guys pretty well, they're not attention seekers. They like to kind of hang out in the background. She started to sob. And she said that she is, is for the first time, confronted in her life with the thought that her daughter is going to encounter things that they would never dream of. Their daughter is already talking about wishing that she was not black because she has a little sister that's white. She wants to be like her parents. But then their minds are, you know, as parents, their minds are even going beyond just seeing their daughter's heart broken over her skin color. They're also thinking, She's more likely to get shot than the typical white girl. If she's got, if she gets pulled over, she's like, she's more likely to be harassed by a police officer. Obviously, being a female, she's a little better off than a black male. But I mean, it's it, it that just. That magnified mm-hmm. and kind of opened my eyes because I can go day in and day out, honestly, and unfortunately, without really thinking about it because I have white kids and I'm white, so I don't have to mess with any of it. Mm-hmm. But here is a white couple with a black daughter. They cannot avoid it. They cannot not think about it. And it just was like, oh, my gosh. It just that, was that, crazy. That kind of thing just seriously does almost break my heart.
1: But Maybe it does break my heart because I love my, my kids so much that when I drop Ruby off at, at first grade and I see her walk in, like there's sometimes where I'll see her, she's just super outgoing. She'll yeah. try to talk to other kids and they just kind of ignore her. And I hate, I immediately <laughs> hate that first grader, like yeah. that six-year-old that is like ignoring my daughter, even that little bit just destroys me. And, and like a father's heart is just devastated just from right. something so simple. I cannot imagine that. Like, I, I really do want to say like the, the, the worst thing, I mean, death and being murdered wrongfully is just the worst thing for sure. Okay. I mean, there there is no escaping that. So, there has to be some changes made. This is crazy. And, and I'm talking about for all people, for the cops, for minorities, for white folks, we need to make some real changes. All right. That, I mean, there needs to be some changes and some grace and forgiveness, but also real changes that are fruitful. But I can't, I mean, there is no escaping that Black people are treated differently than white people, and, uh-huh. and especially from cops. Now, there might the cops might even have some reasons or whatever, that, but besides the point, there is a difference in a race, and I can't imagine my child and being, like, you would, of course you would have to be concerned for, you, for your black child. Of yeah. course, I mean, you know, families, uh, I mean, all minorities, but I mean, of course you would have to fear what happens if my child... Happens to say the wrong thing or, and pisses this guy off, right. you know, it says or says the right thing that just pisses him off. I mean, seriously, or, think, or whatever that might be,
0: it. it's, it's just so scary. Like, think about it. There, there has been multiple times in the last few months where a black male has gotten pulled over. He was not doing anything. He wasn't planning on doing anything, and he got shot. I mean, that's just that's yeah, un- right. unbelievable. Toby, you know, you know, Robbie. I mean, super awesome guy going places with his music. I mean, just somebody that everybody looks up to. He told me the other day that there's never a time where he walks past a cop without feeling super nervous. And, and the other night, they were in front of his house, and his cousin got pulled by a cop right in front of his house. And they immediately start, like, getting worried, praying, because they're thinking, is he going to get shot and killed right now right in front of us? I mean, like, well, we don't yeah. have to think those thoughts. When we got pulled that time on the West Coast, and we had alcohol in the car, right. and you talk shit to the cop, and we were still fine. <laughs> we right. didn't get a ticket or anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. No,
3: yeah, but let's, you know, I, I understand a lot of people have immediate pushback to what you guys are saying in a way, and I want to try to think about that right clearly. So yeah, my first inclination when I hear you say that about that family and having a black daughter is maybe that is overblown. And maybe even being, fi- like, I think cops probably kill more white males than black females like just being male alone pro- right. ma- makes you more threatening and that's what i think is at the issue here and that this is what is hard about about it cuz i understand the cop point of view and how scary that is the only way that this makes any sense is that is to say that the cops must be scared of black people that's really the only way this makes sense so if you can't if you can't be honest about that and say well a big black man is scary to me like like (laughs) that's really what i think is going on in these cases but they can't say that but i think that's how they feel and i'm not trying to be racist or anything but that it was a big black guy and it just scared me and i didn't know and i thought maybe what if he does something to me
0: you know and and so and so you're saying that should be a little more understandable?
3: No, it's not understandable or okay, but I you can't.
1: You can't use that as an excuse when you are a paid of course servant not. of the public. Right. Like those, like, black, white, uh, Latino, wh- whatever race yeah. in America, you pay their salary, and we pay for the training. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I think I get what you're saying. What, what I would say is that statistically-wise, right, uh, if you look at statistics— and and, and, mm-hmm. and I can understand why that's upsetting to people because people are dying and, and then you just throw numbers at them. That's not what I'm, right. I'm not trying to diminish that. What I'm saying is I think way worse is I, for sure black people are treated differently regardless yes, they if, of if they are killed. Because and, and people mur- are scared the of them. But I just want it, it
3: to be said that people are scared of them. That's why they're treated differently. It's not, it's not this oh, – I'm not saying that's right. That is wrong. That is racism. But it's a little bit different than this – thing where it's like, oh, we're trying to get black people because we but, don't but like Matt,
0: them. Matt, he, here's, the, here's the issue with this, though, is I, I can see where you're and coming from. And that's a from. huge I, problem. I, I want to give cops the benefit of the doubt. Anytime anyone, white, black, male, or female is fighting against them, trying to resist arrest, at that point we need to be like, okay, what would we do in that situation? We're we're afraid of getting shot, killed, yep. or something like that. But when, when they're not doing anything aggressive, when they're not even talking back, no, no, I that, agree to me, what are you scared of? Well, uh, well, like look, Toby look, said, no, if you're a
3: cop, don't be scared. Give me a, let, me, let me see if I can say it a little bit
1: clearer. I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> well, I, well, I, think, I think cops should be scared. They, they have a high potential of getting killed, too,
0: i I put it this but way. Not, if, not if the person's not doing anything is what I'm saying. Well, if they're just but, sitting but, there. Joey, but not, you,
1: you can't I, say that because uh, at any moment, anytime there is a weapon present, which the cop has, there's the potential for death. A cop has a weapon. Yeah. So at any moment you don't, don't know somebody, you walk up to their car and they have tinted windows or whatever, black, white, or wh- whatever race yeah. they are. And all of a sudden you are, you are immediately the situation is heightened. And then if you think statistically, yeah. like Matt said, I think more than scared, what people are thinking is maybe statistically black people kill more.
4: Which, no, which, like, black-on-black
1: like so, black crime is, is, is very high. Black, black, black people are in prison a lot. But that is the bigger point of why is that the case? Why are more black men in jail for stupid drug charges and dumb stuff like that? I mean, we are put—I truly do believe at this point we have put black people in a situation where there, a lot of times there is no chance to win, mm-hmm. regardless of being scared. They, I mean, what is it, like, one in four black guys are going to go to jail? In their yeah, life. it's, like, a, one it's a whole four. big
3: problem for sure, and, and and in many facets. But I want to say, if a ninety-year-old woman or a sixty-two-year-old middle-aged woman of any race is not complying with an officer, they're not going to feel as threatened than a big black guy. That they're going to be more scared of it. But it's not okay to admit that. Well, or is say that, that
1: racism then? It, okay, yes, it is yes. racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred
3: percent, it is. Right, but but that that's the weird thing about it. And I I just feel like it's uh it, it's going to be really tricky to untangle for that reason, though, because we all have an amount of uh, racism in us, but nobody can admit to it because we polarize it so hard on on, oh. on both sides But well, see, I think
0: well, that, that's the first step is admitting it. I mean to me, yeah I see racism as almost like as natural as lust. Well, I mean so think of most most heterosexual males are going to struggle with lust after the opposite sex. We don't really think ill of that person like, "Oh, how disgusting, how perverted. We're just like, "No, nah, that's just a struggle." If we could, could kind of come up with the same approach for racism, I think it would help both sides, and it would help to unite us by just saying, mm-hmm. yes, we're all racist a little bit. Right. Black people, you're racist towards whites. Right. Whites, we're racist towards you guys. We're just all racist. And like, it's all right, it's a complicated
3: out. situation, and uh, let me say, give, uh, this is what, it's really hard for me to understand or think about. I have a mixed-race uh, daughter and another one coming. I
1: struggled. Are you
0: sure about the other one coming? Because you spent a lot of time away from home. And... It's true. We're not sure. But okay, I don't know. Man, this
1: is almost like you saying, "I'm friends."
0: I know, with, and it sounds like
1: African American. Like no, <laughs> but what
3: I'm saying is, I don't exactly share that sentiment <laughs> that Joey expressed of the other people. I'm not sure if I'm worried for my kids exactly or, or if but, i should be will, would you know? it break
0: your heart if georgia if if you adopted georgia and bridget was 100 percent white and she was upset I d- about? i don't want to add fuel to it because Correct. i know anybody can act stupid if you like think
3: about if you got pulled over by a cop and you're 22 years old you might make a bad decision you don't let me be real clear on this you don't deserve to be killed if you use drugs hold a weapon uh walk the wrong direction right. you d- there's there's no way here's why i agree with let me let me flip it the other way here's where i agree with them even my wife i try to talk to her about being pulled over and uh, like honey you know to comply with the cops right that's what i tell bridget and she gets really <laughs> mad i'm not so sure that she wouldn't be so emotional or scared of the cops right. because of the climate we've partially created she might freak out if she got pulled over and the cops did something that she didn't like she might emotionally right. s- do stupid shit and get killed it is possible but you should never get killed for being high or walking right. the wrong direction or getting pissed off at a cop who you know is singling you out. Oh, right. yeah. That's ridiculous. You should well, never be killed for that. But that's the danger that they have.
1: Well, I think another thing, too, is we, we, are a boy, we are way too high on racism. Like, I think when we think of racism, we are thinking of, like, KKK mm-hmm. and we're thinking mm-hmm. about we hate like people right. hating black people the thing we need to focus on at this point there are real biases that is what you're yeah. getting at like, that, like right. there are real biases it's stuff where like, where, I'm where, scared, where they're, like right.
3: i want i want everybody to be fine i'm not racist oh shit these black people are scaring the shit right. out of me right now like right. like that's not the same race that, but it's bad and it's a problem right. but it's one we have a hard time talking about so toby said something i thought was really funny i know we got to get out of here but toby said what if we could all I don't know if this is funny. You didn't mean it funny. It's just funny <laughs> in my head when you said it, but you said w- we could be black if we could be black too, to like take on some of that responsibility. Like what would everybody what the,
1: change to one race to get rid of racism? Like yeah, would with that, everybody if there on was earth something could, we could yeah. do,
3: like take pigment or something to where right. that eliminated racism because we all had to just choose a middle of the road color and Who color body. Do that? I thought I thought. That's just like that solidarity with the cancer patient with the shaved head, right? Like, what if we just all had to be bl- just be black? If you were in solidarity with black people, you would assume. I mean, not to make you know what I mean. Like, of course, that sounds super. Would we all in do black that? People. Well, uh, would would it solve anything? Is my I, question. Like, it's an interesting to way to think, and we don't have time to talk about. Tell me, we can talk about it later, but because our guest is is strictly scheduled here, but think about that for a second. What we'll talk about this after our guest. but yeah. Would it solve anything if? We all tomorrow could look like LeBron.
0: <laughs> Shoot, that's all a lot for me, boy. What Dude, the, I mean, the cops would I look, could like, look like
1: LeBron. <laughs> I'd trade in a Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so, Seriously. But you see
0: what good I'm God. saying? That's an interesting for thought experiment.
3: If everybody, <laughs> if you leveled the playing field that way, would it change anything? Or or what? What would I, what actually would happen in that in that thought experiment? So think about yep. that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with
1: David Murrow. Yeah, our good friends at Tooth and Nail have once again, put out great music from our friends Fit for a King, and we're going to listen to their new song, Dead Memory. This song is off their new album called Death Grip, and it comes out October 7th, Uh, and this is Fit for a King's fourth full-length album with Solid State Records, and they're going to be supporting Beartooth and Every Time I Die. That is nice. going to be a killer lineup oh, for a tour. I Golly, wish to God that is awesome. he could be on a tour like that. The, the guy, the, those guys in Beartooth played uh, when that festival we played in Texas and are just really good, but uh, that, that's going to be in October and November, so let's check out this song by Fit for a King called Dead Memory. Yeah, y'all check this out. I got it right here.
3: fade this song on down. That's good stuff, man. Pit for King, great. Band. Um, and I tell you what, it uh I think I'm gonna have them I'm I'm trying to get these guys on the Break It Down podcast because they got some interesting stuff going. They got a really cool uh guitar player and uh, that does some production and their singer's really cool too. So they're gonna be in town in Seattle soon on one of their tours. I'm gonna try and get them on the show. But uh let's get the details one more time on that. This is their fourth full-length album, Solid State, Tooth and Nail. Uh, the Tour is with Beartooth and Every Time I Die, October, November. Check out Band is in Town for those tour dates, but I'm sure you can find them anywhere. And again, Death Grip, the new album, comes out October 7th. You can pre-order it now at fitforakingband.com.
1: All right. David, are you here?
4: I'm here. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. Hey, David. Hey, David. This is Toby. I've been writing back and forth with you, and I just, uh, I, uh, just to get started here, just to tell you a little bit about why we are excited to have you on i've been very infatuated with men just i'm passionate about men (laughs) but
4: uh all right
1: (laughs) but i uh i have been just i've worked at two mega churches uh counseled tons of men and and uh married couples and quit quit church moved to nashville tennessee and tried out like four or five different churches and i'm constantly seeing the same thing men are uninterested in church like I, i i go to church with with a ton of my friends and I look around at these men who I know love Jesus but they uh they're checking their fantasy football apps or Twitter they're not, and their wives are sitting beside them just you know routinely taking notes and 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 it's just devastating to me and so uh I, I really wanted to have you on first of all too you're a Packers fan so that's just amazing we're all <laughs> Packers I fans guess. and and, right. and lo- love that team but uh I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. When when did you first start seeing that men were disliking or hating churches, as as your book says?
4: Well, uh, I noticed it. uh, My background is advertising and marketing. And so one day I'm sitting in church and I just kind of looked around and realized that if my church was a TV show, it would be on the Oprah Winfrey network. I mean, Mm. everything from the Mm -hmm. way the church was decorated to the, the robe the pastor was wearing, to the quilts, to the ribbons, to the lace, to the ministries for women and Children to the scrapbooking parties. I mean, everything about my church was designed to appeal to a middle-aged, older woman, and there was absolutely nothing to um, excite the heart of a young man. So, um, did some did a little bit of research and realized that this phenomenon has actually cropped up in the church over time. Uh, Historically, you know, in the late Victorian era, there was a huge exodus of men from the church and there were some really strong efforts in the 1920s and 30s to get men back and we kind of rode a wave after the post-war baby boom these men did come back and now the tide is going back out and the men are going out with it
3: do you think it's like largely aesthetics uh what do you think the big precipitators or drivers of that is is it frilly flowers and handbell choirs or or something something else
4: let me tell you the uh the gospel's powerful the problem is guys are coming into the church and they're getting the message immediately that this is something for their wives and children. And so they're not staying. They're not sticking. They're not staying to hear the gospel. The whole focus of my ministry, Church for Men, is just getting men, to, just getting churches to create an environment where men will stay long enough to hear the gospel and be transformed by it before they check their phones and their fantasy football.
0: So you're saying they're they're getting that me, that message indirectly by just what they're experiencing is what you're saying? Oh, right yeah. away,
4: right away. Yeah. The minute you walk in the, I mean, you walk in any church in America that's under a hundred people, and the first thing you're going to see is you're going to see like a children's style bulletin board. Yeah. With, you know, with yarn and construction paper. And um, then you're going to walk into the sanctuary and you're going to see these quilted banners and felt banners. You're going to see flowers on the altar. You're going to see a lace doily. I mean, all the visual image, you're not going to see a, you're not going to see a neon sign. You're not going to see a sword or a shield. You're not going to see anything that's going to appeal to the masculine heart. Everything about the way the church is presented is is saying that this is a this is an institution that's targeted at middle aged and older women, and the, and the reason is is because middle aged and older women are the volunteer force that keeps the machine going. If you don't have them, the church implodes.
3: So they're the ones that chose the felt uh, layered thing cut out with the cross on it and the doves yeah. flying. Yeah,
4: whatever. they made it. They yeah. made it because to grandma that's beautiful, and and it, you know some of them are very beautiful. But the problem is when a young man comes into that environment, he doesn't see anything that says this is for you. And men are extremely visual; they're very perceptive, and and we pick up on visual cues very easily. And so, you know, that's just the beginning. And then you can talk about, you know, the way Jesus is portrayed, or you know, the passivity of of you know what what we encourage, and you know, Jesus, we always preach Jesus the Lamb and never Jesus the Lion. I mean, we can go on and on. It's all in my book. But so, uh,
3: talk about that passivity thing that you said. There. That's a subject that that interests me a lot. Is how we it's. You know, in all of culture, it feels to me like we re- reward. I live in Seattle, by the way, which is the one of the most passive places I've ever been. Passive aggressive, really, but we yeah. almost reward passivity, and I, I hate that. I hate that. What what t- talk about that a little bit?
4: Well, I think I think it's unintentional. Um, I think churches want men to be more active, but the problem is when they become active, uh, there's a tendency to kind of shut them down. Uh, because, you know, men make messes. And, you know, any any pastor who's been doing this a while knows that his job is, is to keep the institution running smoothly. And this is not a knock on pastors. You know, pastors have a very difficult job to do. Thank you. They, they don't, you know, they don't want the hassles that come from, you know, the last thing you want is some crazy guy overturning the mission's fundraising table, you know, fashioning a whip and, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, pastors are caught in a bind. They're their their parishioners demand a well run, smooth running church that's peaceful and good for children. But men are animated by other things. They're animated by conflict and you know the desire for greatness. And then these sort of things often get squeezed out in in institutional churches. How
1: how would you so even going back a little bit further than that? So what is your in, in your book you you talk about this as well? But men aren't just like warriors or love football and drinking beer and stuff like that. How do you define masculinity? What what is when a church is looking to supply that for men what what is what is your thought on that
4: well i mean there's a full range of types of men the the men who are to tend toward the more bookish and sensitive and musical already have a home in the church because you know think about what what we do and think about the um uh, behaviors we encourage we encourage people to read their bibles to study to share their feelings to um, um, you know sing praise to god to play in the music band to Hmm. play in the worship band these are the these are the people that get the stage time. These are the behaviors that we encourage week after week after week, and these are good things. Um, I'm not I'm not running anything in those down, but what I'm saying is that type of man who's wired that way already finds his way in the church. It's obvious to him the minute he walks in. Hey, this is very comfortable for me. Um, I I like music. I like art. I like sharing my heart. I like you know I like the Bible. I like to read. I like to study. So you know that kind of guy. He's okay.
3: So you're not denying that those are. Uh traits that are acceptable for men.
4: Oh, no, no. I'm not being prescriptive. I'm being yeah. descriptive. I'm right. not saying that a man needs to be, you know, be able to, you know, crush an iron bar between his hands and then he's a man. But what I'm saying is that 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 the men who are already well-served in the church are being well-served in the church. What I'm talking about is there's a whole nother group of men right. who are completely alienated by the church because the church does not encourage the behaviors that come naturally to them. right. And And that's why we're seeing them, you know, on the sidelines.
3: So this is a a pet peeve of mine, but I've always felt like or noticed that the church, and and it dovetails to, to, to the issue of men, but really the problem with that to me is that it seems like all churches feel like they have to have the lowest common denominator value for everybody, as in whatever is the most appealing to the most possible amount of people is what each and every single church has feels like they must appeal to versus have different churches, different communities appeal to different people in different ways.
4: Yeah, you know, that's really true. I'm looking, and here's an analogy. I'm looking at what's happening in television right now. When you turn on CBS, NBC, or ABC, they are still trying to appeal to the mass market. So exactly. what do you see? You see a lot of reality TV. You see a lot of really kind of lowbrow stuff. Mm-hmm. Yet we're having this golden age of renaissance of, Quality television on cable, uh, you know shows like Mad Men and yes, um, and, and Netflix and, and Amazon Prime—they're winning all the Emmys, you know, because they're able to narrowcast. And I've always wondered why churches are not being more innovative in narrowcasting the gospel, and why why couldn't we do some do something where do a church where we don't build ourselves around a Sunday morning gathering focusing on preaching and music
3: because you don't trust the other people you think you're the only one that's got it is the reason they do that they think what do you mean they think well our church is the best church and so we have to appeal to the most people they don't actually trust that we could do this one thing and trust the other churches to serve other people in other ways you know so no matter what the people that are alternative or marginalized or the the all the people that are not included in what they feel is mainstream are always alienated because yeah. All there is is the CBS normal shows. I'm glad you used the TV example. I use that one a lot. They're all the Big Bang Theory it, it show. It's, yes. it's, it's all that. There's no. Yeah. They don't think they can do an AMC show like The Walking Dead. They don't feel like they could do that because they feel like, this is me, and this is my ministry, and I need it to be for everybody.
4: It's got to be American Ninja but everybody Warrior.
3: everybody feels that way about their own church.
4: Yeah, you know, I think so. And one of the things that really discourages me about church planting is everybody's planting the exact same church. Exactly. They feel like it's so we important. Have, we have not had this much conformity in christianity since medieval catholicism yes
0: come on dude Uh, mine is edgy man (laughs) it's it's so true yeah joey as a campus pastor
1: what do you feel about the men in your church don't you i mean it it is true in this book um and, and let me plug it again why men hate going to church we have david murrow here i just it is crazy like i work joey and i worked at the same church and i just Really couldn't take anymore because I felt like I wasn't being truthful to, in my wrestling with God. I actually felt like I'm selling a product and having to sell a product that I can't, I don't fully believe in. And I saw that in a lot of men too. Joy, did you not see that? Maybe see that too? Men not being as interested as women.
0: I, I saw, I saw really good examples of both, honestly. So yes, I, I definitely vouch for what you're saying. And I think maybe our, ch- uh, here I go proving Matt's point. My church is different, but it does right. seem like our campus. <laughs> It it did seem like our campus was full of guys that were just dudes, and they're just like, yeah, it is what it is. I'm going to be a dude and bring my family. But, yes, Toby, for sure, him and I both counseled a lot of guys that fit this description of just didn't give a shit.
3: Let me ask you a question, Joey, and then I'd like David to weigh in on that. But if you really were designing your church, your campus pastor, if you really did just whatever occurred to you naturally— there might be a neon beer-looking sign, and the lighting would be probably pretty different. I mean, the way you would set up the chairs—like if you did what you thought you wanted—it would be vastly different than what you think needs to be done for this community. Yeah, true. right? Yeah, totally. So, but but why? But but why isn't it the way you want it to be? I'm not saying I know you have structure and hierarchy and all that stuff. But I mean, wh- what are we making the decision based
0: on? I think you nailed it. It's we're we're trying, we're we're definitely trying to just. Accommodate the masses of people, yeah. and it's because we've got something that needs to be supported now. I mean, seriously, like if you if you digress now, and and these big churches that uh, David talked about, as far as they're all doing the same thing, if you start taking steps back now, and you start singling a certain you know demographic or a certain type of, of person down, well, then you start losing people. So I am with David as far as. With the, the church planting, why is it all the same now? Like, man, start new, different churches. And, and every time we, we say stuff like this on the podcast, we get emails of people saying, we are, there's people doing it. But David, should we just make our, should Joey just make his church look like a man cave though?
4: Um, no, I think you guys are just nibbling around the edges. I mean, what I'm talking about is, is why do we even, why do we even have to build our Christian communities around a weekly music and preaching event? You know, why do we have to have a 75-minute gathering on Sundays where we sing a few songs and hear a guy talk to us? I mean, is that really is that really the product that today's—is that the way we should—that that our base-level discipleship should be executed? And I'm not speaking against that model. That model works very well for a lot of people. I'm not saying we should wipe that out. But, you know, where are the innovators who are saying, you know, maybe what our church needs to be is a weekly gathering of men, and then— And we meet, you know, at such a different place and we do this and we do that. Uh, Or, you know, what if the discipleship, instead of being a guy talking to us as we go through a series of ordeals or exercises that teach spiritual truths, sort of like parables, you know, why are we not, why are we not seeing this type of innovation? When we, when we plant churches, we immediately plant another worship service, and then we hope that a church grows out of it eight times, nine times out of 10, it doesn't. And the church plant fails because we haven't planted a church, we planted a worship service.
0: Yeah, I mean, see, like G, Jesus and the disciples. Oh yeah, they didn't they didn't meet a lot and find a children's director and then find a building and decide what set up and breakdown was going to be like. They just traveled around being dudes telling people about Jesus. Well, I think that
1: was that was going to be on my next question too and I think you're answering it there was do men need to go to church? Like the system we have right now, if it is failing and not working, like if, if this was a business then it would, it just wouldn't make it. You know what I mean? Cause it, it like, it's not, a tr- if it's, if your goal is to attract men and you're doing this poorly, then it, that this restaurant would go out of business. But that, that's what I don't understand. I kind of agree with you. I don't, I think people are scared of relinquishing some of the control that the church has had for so long. Like you have to have the leadership and you have to have this set, set, this, this, and this, because if you don't, somebody might end up doing something bad. And I think that is what causes a lot of the fear of innovation. Do you see that at all of churches pushing back on changes because they're scared of what might happen, David?
4: No, I mean, I think you guys are really assigning some sinister motives to, to, (laughs) I I really want to believe the best about church planters. I just think we're stuck in a rut. I think we saw what Rick Warren did and um, Bill Hybels did. And, you know, we all want to grow that. And, you know, why not? I mean, we all want to have influence. We all want, to, all want to have a lot of people hearing the gospel. And I don't see that as a bad thing. I just think that there are so many people out there who need to know Jesus and who are never going to come to a worship service, no matter how hip the music, no matter how cool the sermon, the whole format just doesn't work. I mean, if you, if you think about how we absorb information today in the 21st century, we do not sit and listen to lectures. Even in school, lectures are going away. If you go back to 1850 and, you know, the only way to, to receive information was for a learned person to mm-hmm. stand up and speak to us. Yes. And maybe if you could read, you do read a newspaper. There are so many channels now for, for for transmitting information. Yet we gather people on Sunday morning and what do we do? We transmit information and we provide music for them. Well, guess what? I got music coming out of my everything. It comes out of my phone. It comes out of my computer. It comes out of my car. You know, the product we're offering was really cool in 1850. Yeah, right on. It's, it is completely obsolete today. It has been replaced by so many other things. So if we're going to gather believers for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, maybe we should get down into the yuck of their lives and teach them how to be real with each other and do something that's more like actually The the product that the church has right now is the the ability to disciple personally. And I would just soon forego Sunday morning if I could just use that 90 minutes to personally disciple and be discipled and really get Mm -hmm. into some people's lives. Mm -hmm. And And churches realize this, and this is why they push small groups relentlessly. And that's a good thing, because small groups is where you can get into each other's lives. But the problem is most people are so busy today, they will give you one unit of time.
0: Yep, that's true.
3: Exactly.
4: They'll give God one unit at a time. And if you could get into a small group that meets on Wednesday night, or you can get into a group on Sunday morning that you're in and out real quick, most people are going to say, hey, I'm already in the habit of doing Sunday. They got this great kids program. I'm going to go to church for 75 minutes on Sunday. I'm going to hear a relatively good sermon. I'm going to sing music that's not too bad, and then I'm going to go home. That's the path of least resistance. And they're not going to give you that second unit in most cases.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, on to- on top of on top of that, too, churches— are going to push the person to be there on Sunday mornings. And if you can join a small group, yep. join a small group. So it's part our responsibility too because we put the priority on Sunday mornings.
1: Well well I'll say right.
0: too, I I do think it's more sinister than you think, David, because it, <laughs> And here, and here's why
1: People, I was a small group director, and the problem with small groups a lot of times is they're just mini-Sunday mornings, like tiny M-I-N-I mini-Sunday mornings where a lot of the times the growth doesn't happen because, that, that, once again, it's that little bit of, I believe the church has this control and proprietary uh, fear like it, that something's going to be taken away from them. This is our This is our church, and we're doing it this way, and this is how it's going to go, and small groups need to look like this, and this, this, and this, and I don't think the innovation is allowed because what if somebody breaks off and does something crazy or what will it look like for our church if somebody ends up being this way or that way or whatever you might want to be. I do think that's a little bit worse. And I'll say a sinister in this, and just I'm going to quote here from your book. You were talking about the church that you were attending. You said that year the church that you were going to conducted 104 regularly scheduled church services, seven special services, 250 adult classes, 600 committee meetings, 1,000 small group meetings, and ran through a $750,000 budget to produce exactly zero new adult followers. That sounds sinister.
4: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean— I'm not going to argue whether the, the, whether for false motives are true. I'm just right, saying right. that if we, if we want to be effective in reaching men, we have to provide them those things that they cannot get anywhere else. You can get preaching on your phone. Now you can right. get, if, if I want a sermon, I don't have to listen to the, the local guy. I can get Francis Chan. Absolutely. I, right. can, I can get, you know, Matt Chandler. I can get Craig Groeschel. These guys are amazing pulpiteers. So that's available. Now, if I want music, it's everywhere. So, if we're going to gather Christians and organize them for battle, wouldn't it make sense to gather around something other than a weekly preaching and music event?
3: That's fine, unless you're the one that is in charge of the big event, and then all you know is try to grow the thing that you're in charge of. So, if well,
4: okay, and let me and let me tell you why I think that is, is because Christians have been trained to put money in the offering plate. Mm-hmm. That is our only revenue stream. And until we figure out other ways for Christian ministers to be paid, and this is again, I'm putting the blame on on the church because we don't pay for discipleship; we pay for preaching. Uh, we're not going to get anything new, right? But I, I believe you know, I mean, the pastor's got to make his nut. Yeah, but I, I believe that the the whole thing is
3: built around the the notion that we need to control it because if we don't control it, then we don't. How do we know? How do we measure? How do we show? How do we how do we get credit? for the growth the the you know from any individual christian's point of view would it be better to be in a very good small group or attend a worship service if like you said in packets which one you know you're going to do one or the other some people are only going to do one which one is actually more beneficial to the believer i believe it would be to be in the group to be oh. You know what I mean? If you only had one choice, you're going to 52 small groups a year or 52
4: worship services. I hear that all the time. Everybody's always saying, oh, my small groups like my church. I love my small group. How do you like your church? Oh, it's pretty good. How do you love your small group? I love my small group. So small group is more effective, but here's the problem. We've set the economics of the church up. Right. We pay we pay for sermons. We don't pay for discipleship.
3: And it's not controlled though. It's not as proprietary. They don't have their stamp on it. They don't know what's happening. I mean, some of that stuff really bothers me. And like you brought up, the uh offering, the the financial part of it is all uh built into uh the professionalism. And and there's some element of professionalism that tells the attender uh the job of these people who get paid is to do the ministry, and my job is to show up, listen, and support them.
4: Yeah, that and just,
3: that devastates me.
4: But again, that that is that is not. I don't think that's so much clergy driven as it is crowd driven. I mean, I really, mm-hmm. I really don't want to impugn the motives of pastors. Pastors work hard; they take a lot of crap.
3: Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you that actually. But so, what, but I, what I would, what you'd have to say there is that the uh, demand that is the is the driver, not the supply there.
4: Well, I think, I think we need to create new economic models that actually allow disciple makers to make some money. Because if, I mean, if I could go out and I could disciple a dozen men, like a personal trainer, you know, you go to a personal trainer and he gets, he shapes you up and you pay him a hundred, 150 bucks a month and your mm-hmm. biceps start growing and you start getting results and the chicks start digging you. And you know, Hey man, I'll, I'll be glad to pay for that. Right. Hell yeah. Well, if, if there was a, if there was a, some sort of a thing where you could pay a disciple maker a hundred bucks a month or whatever, so that he could make his nut so that he could live and disciple you. Um, then, then maybe we would have, we could raise up an army of men who would be discipling other men, but everybody has to be a pastor because we pay for pastors, but we don't pay uh, for I disciple see. makers. I see. Cause I could get Chandler on my YouTube. Chandler's Chandler's free now. I mean, he's yeah, he's free. You you do right now media nine ninety five a month and all the Chandler you can eat yep. so the the problem now is is how do we you know how do we create an an economic model where a guy if I want to just go out and be a disciple maker yeah I'll do that but I don't get paid so you know we got to change that around
1: yeah I love that idea I think that's that's really great I think one thing too though I would say is that is the part that I long for I think with with small groups men or women but especially the times that I've had small groups with just me and I felt like we were able to really explore <laughs> real things and have a have a real time uh, and be authentic in our like wrestling with God. And so I think one of the other things that that hurts churches is I believe that is the wrong time for that. I actually think like you said you only have a nugget of time that you're going you're willing to give. I think I I would love it more and more and and maybe this goes to back to your point of using YouTube and hearing just phenomenal preachers, I really do want to hear more teaching about the Bible. Like I want to, I, I really think of church as this is my time to learn about Jesus. And I want somebody to just uh, destroy the scripture and just, you know, just open it up to me. Like I never have been before for all the bad things. You know, I worked at Marcel for all the crazy stuff that Mark Driscoll did. What he was a phenomenal preacher. Like he could open up the word in a way that I, I had never even been able to explore before. And I thought that was so valuable. Sucks that he he kind of <laughs> went off the deep end, but at the same time, uh i I think that is also turning men off i see men constantly every service i go to like it was so funny i went to four different churches and they all ended up talking about brokenness and being tattered and torn i was like okay i know i know that we i know that we feel that way i know that and that's a real feeling and we need to mourn that feeling and we've gone through bad stuff but i do feel like as a man and, and women often too uh we want to move past some of that stuff. Like Jesus is offering freedom. So I think we're kind of, do you ever see that hiccup with pastors trying to be too emotional, causing men to turn away?
4: You know, you're right. Um, the The pulpit is probably not the place for that. Um, we, our church kind of went through that about six, seven years ago. We had a couple of counselors come on staff and every single message was about, was about brokenness. And it just got to be I mean, we were just navel-gazing like you wouldn't believe. And, it, you know, it was it was a little much for the guys. So, you know, I agree. You know, men do need to recognize they are broken. They do need to accept their sin and the blame and all that stuff. But the place for that is in a small group. It's it, with other guys who can say, you know what, here's what I did. And then it's real. And, and, you know, you know, I, I think it's much more appropriate in that venue than it is from the pulpit. It,
1: it's, it's interesting to me. I, I just, I, I will say this too. And I, I know we're running, we're getting close to time here, but uh, I just want to say, it's the reading your book. It was so refreshing because so many people when they, when that, when I was talking about this on the podcast or whatever, just say, Hey, read this book, read this book. And I, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to just try that. I'm going to really just take these recommendations. And I thought they were all just awful. Like every single one, didn 't address the issue it was all like a a, a, a gospel sales uh, book like that all the, they weren't trying to talk about men and like real facts or stats or anything. It was really right. frustrating it, it went to hey, you know what but Jesus lo-. it always went back to that you know men yeah. are, are leaving the church because of this reason, but you got to go to church and I, and I like what you're saying I, that that is a the next step we're we're seeing this more and more is that innovation is going to it 's going to thrive because the church has become almost especially I think some of the mega churches but the church in general has kind of become like the Walmart of you can just get everything here it's not that great you don't really like it but it's it's pretty easy and so I think w- with innovation you're going to see it more and more with technology and stuff just branching out and doing more and more are you seeing that with the work that you're doing that you're able to reach more men and connect not even in person
4: well yeah technology is helping and it's also hurting um it's you know what's really One of the ways I do make, I don't make a ton of money on my ministry. I have a full-time job, but uh, one of the ways I've always been able to supplement on my income is get speaking fees. Well, Christian speaking is kind of going away thanks to right now media. Oh, wow. I mean, my, I'm talking to everybody and everybody's down 60, 70, 80% over three or four years ago, because what right now media is doing is it's hollowing out the middle. Um, there, you can still get $500 speaking gigs, $300, $100 speaking gigs, right? If you're cheap, you can still get the, you know, $20,000 if you're, you know, um, Joel Osteen, or if you've you've got a national platform, but what's getting hollowed out is the middle guy, you know, the guy with three or four books, got like guy like me, those calls are just going away because why would you hire a guy, bring him in, put him in a hotel, feed him, you know, buy his plane ticket when you can just turn on Right Now Media and have the best preachers in the world. So, you know, it sounds like sour grapes, but on the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, maybe this technology could be a way to get some really good men's discipleship materials out there. One of the things I'm trying to get uh, produced right now is I want to produce a series of three or four minute videos that are allegorical in nature. They're just modern day parables that teach men, that teach kind of a basic catechism of men's discipleship. Um, all the men's ministry video series are, you know, 30 minutes of talking heads. That doesn't work with men. What, what works with men, and I do this on my men's retreats, is I just go up there and I just put them through a series of exercises, through a series of questions. I hide things in the room. I make them, you know, pee in a bucket. I make them do yeah. all this stuff. And then then I then I just turn to them and I say, what was the spiritual lesson? And it is absolutely incredible what comes out of their mouths, how God speaks to these guys and shows them the spiritual meaning of these, these exercises I put them through. And then, you know, they, and what it does is the guys emerge from the weekend with a set of common metaphors that they then use with each other throughout the years. They say, Hey man, you're just peeing in a bucket or whatever. And they are, they're able to exhort one another because I gave them these metaphors. So I want to put that on video, you know, so that we can send this around, around to lots of churches. And, and I want to make these videos without words, so that we can send them to the third world because all the growth in the church right now is in the global South where people don't speak English. So, you know, I've got a lot of ideas. I've got a lot of, I probably have more ideas than I have life left, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I really do think we've got to have a different approach to men because you know, the gospel is powerful. Men need the gospel. Men love the gospel when they understand what mm-hmm. it means. I agree with that. And they do want to follow Jesus.
3: This has been really great. You got to clue me in, though. What is the peeing in the bucket? What do we learn from that? What's the metaphor?
4: Well, you got to come to one of my retreats. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love that. I, nothing, nothing better than peeing in the yard or a bucket or somewhere other than the toilet.
4: I'll give you a little insight. I had a men's retreat in Ohio last month. And what I did is I put five, I had the group, five groups of men, about 12, 15 men in each group. And I said, all right, the group that is able to fill the bucket with nothing nothing but bodily fluids first wins 100 points or whatever it was. And so we had guys spitting in the bucket. We had guys, but they quickly realized there was only one way they were going to fill the bucket. (laughs) So I had them fill the bucket. And then here's what I always do when I get to the end of my exercises. All right. I said, all right, what did God tell you through this? What's, What's the spiritual meaning of this? And they're all laughing and everything like that. And they came up with some really incredible stuff. And so you just got to come to one of my retreats.
1: That's awesome. I I cannot, I'm certain that has never happened at a woman's retreat.
4: (laughs) Well, no, No. I did here's the thing. I didn't tell them to pee in the bucket, but they figured it out. So, you know, I mean, it, it's just when you, when you kind of let men, when you kind of set men up, get them talking and you kind of just let them teach each other, it's just amazing what God comes up with when you don't control the message. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us, man. This, we've been very enlightened here. You guys can check out his book who are listening right now, Why Men Hate Going to Church by David Murrow. I highly recommend this book. It was a very good read. Page nine, changed my life. And how do people uh, find out about your
0: retreats that
1: you yeah, put just on? Just
4: go to churchformen.com and there's a contact link. It goes right to me.
0: Sweet. Sweet. All right, awesome. David, thank
4: you. We appreciate yep. it very
0: much. Thank we're, you. I,
4: if you didn't catch
3: this, we're live on the air right now. So we'll circle oh. back and and catch up and uh, send you the link to this podcast. But thank you for joining us today.
4: Yeah, good. I'll, I'll put it on my uh, Facebook page. That's another thing to the listeners. Uh, I'm real active on Facebook. Just go to ch- Facebook slash Church for Men.
3: Awesome. Thank you, David. We awesome. appreciate thank it. Thank you. All
4: right, guys. Talk to you later.
3: David murrow everybody yeah good stuff there that's great you know the, the on the contrasting side of this i feel like uh and i really am sensitive to this we probably don't have feature enough women shit on this podcast yeah, we agree. don't have yeah. many women <laughs> guests and i don't know why that is if you don't police it or try to affirmative action it it, it just doesn't happen but uh somebody brought that to my attention again is that a hidden bias bias it's and not I... hidden it's an overt bias i i I know more men than I do women. I am not great right. friends with a ton of women. I don't interact that's with not, them. Well, yeah, that's not a bias. But I wish we did. I, I don't know why
1: wouldn't that be a bias, Joey? Of, of
3: course, it's a bias. Bi-
1: I'm biased towards
0: men. I'm a man. They're fucking rule. Men are the no, best. No, no, no. Uh, bu- I thought a bias would be women. that you're purposely choosing men. You just said that you know more men. No, no, that doesn't mean uh, you're the biased the unconscious doesn't. nature of it points right.
3: to the bias. Not the, okay. No, it's not. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not intentional. I don't even. If I don't think about it, we'll have. 27 episodes in a row and no woman stuff ever comes up right. and we don't have a woman guest. I think the
1: other thing too, is I feel intimidated asking women. Cause I was like, there's no way they want to come on this shit show. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like I, like I, I respect women more than I do me. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: on the so, other yeah. hand,
1: like, like I think it would be
3: better to fully embrace this man stuff, pissing in buckets, doing stuff, hanging out. You know, I love that stuff. That stuff is Right. Um, and, and women's stuff is great, too, and we should interact with way more women than we do. That's like an admission yeah. or a confession hey, for, for on, hey, on my bar, because I really hey. want to engage with David there on man stuff. It reminds me, oh, yeah, I for, always forget to, like, deal with women's stuff, because women are awesome. I'm, I'm about to have two daughters, and the more we diversify, for instance, bad Christian with women and people that work with us and for us, it's always a benefit, but it's easier not to do it but it's always enriching to involve women too i'm kind of struggling through that personally
1: but. right but this still feels a little biased right. this feels like we're You're saying right. let's just have women on for women's sake we yeah, well, i don't want to do that either and i and i wanted to i didn't get to say this when david was on but he makes a great and I, now he's talking about uh men are from mars women are from venus he uses some some uh the a little bit of a study they did or whatever which is really interesting. I I haven't read the book and I don't know I know a lot of people are up and down on that book bit, whether it being good or bad, but his point to it was I liked how he said this um he he refers to masculinity and femininity in the in the terms of like values. Because it is it's a it feels like a delicate topic to talk about men and what men are and what women aren't or are, you know what I mean like that, that and so he makes a really good point in the book talking about what women value. And uh, in, in, he admits it's still a generalization. When you, when you get on a personal level, all bets are off. Anybody can be whatever they want. But on a general mm-hmm. level, for example, you could say women often talk way more than men, right? That, that never has applied ever to in our marriages, in my, Matt and Maya's marriage, and maybe even Joey's. I don't know. <laughs> like us three, oh, yeah, us yeah. three right. talk I, our asses off. Right. There's the generality that
3: women talk more than men, but I talk a thousand times more than my wife. Oh yeah. Okay, let's move on. We got a couple of we got a few other things to do, but we did tease that we'd finish that race conversation a little bit. So let's do that. Would it not be a positive advancement if we could give everybody
1: the same skin pigment? What would happen if we did that? I do believe there would be some positive things that came from that. I, 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 like, like you said, the immediate, like, uh, an old lady, you know, an old white lady going, oh, and screaming. Like I've seen some videos of some older white women just being just awful to some minorities it's it's, yeah. it's horrific i think some of that would happen but yeah my ultimate thing way i would lean was you just find something else that you would hey it would become socio economic be, right. poor we, right. wealthy that's right we would something. find
3: something else to be prejudiced or biased or make some other people the other what would it be you think it would be just wealth it, it, i think it would be yeah i think it would, have would to we to divide over mon- religion money. Would,
1: what would we divide yeah over? religion would you... religion, would, religion would get way harder is that just innate that people that's what i'm saying like i feel right. like people war against saying that we're sinful or that you know but is isn't there something innate that makes you want to criticize or be mean or or say you're reasonably be
3: afraid I, I, like i was saying before and i don't want to back down from that i think it's fear i think we're scared of stuff yeah so the the, the 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 race that looks the most different from you would be the most scary is what i'm trying to operate on i'm just trying to look at it really logically i'm just saying Right, large, black, scary. But, I mean, you know what I mean. The farther, the farther you can distance yourself from another person, that's the person you would alienate the most, for whatever reason.
1: So, well, so right. I would have to say though, is that uh, is that? Uh, sorry, Joy. Just just following up on that. The only thing about that, Matt, would be I don't. I would have to say when you say that, that's a a symptom of maybe like white Caucasian people. I don't know if other races maybe not are, are not, naturally yeah. scared of a group of of. Young white teens walking down the street. Wouldn't whatever, it always I
3: mean? be easier to objectify and other the the person that's yes. most different from yes. you? Yep. If it was yep. all tall people and there's a bunch of short people, you're like freaking out. These little short people running around here it would right. be the easiest to identify because they're the most different from you, right? That's or the thing that also we're works always the opposite have a way
1: with like beauty the the girl with the biggest boobs or the best face. She you know she gets every all the attention, and you are you know it works mm-hmm. the opposite way like that too. You know what I mean? Like we are. That We do that s- sinfully, wrongfully on both sides. We treat good-looking people way too good, right. and, we, and we treat people that look differently mm-hmm. than us way too bad.
0: Go ahead, right. Joey. I'm sorry to Something interrupt like you. That. Well, I was just going to ask, Matt, apply that to yourself personally. Like, are, are are there people that you can think of that are so different that you have a heightened sense of fear? Oh, or, yeah, you
3: t- 100%. If I go to another country and they're speaking another language and they're doing this and I don't understand stuff, I, I mean, it's terrifying every time.
0: Huh. I mean, you're not you're not afraid because I don't know what's going on. Are you uncomfortable or scared? Like you're scared. You're scared they're going to
3: kill you. Are they? Are they going to rob me? Are they going to lie to me? What are we going to do? I don't understand what these people are doing. What's okay, what happen? what about in America? The more different they are for me in language, height, color, dress, culture, I'm going to be more scared.
0: Okay, but it, you reel that in a little bit and just take someone with a different skin color. I don't think you're scared. I'm more scared than not your marriage is jack then if somebody looks just like me i'm less scared of that person
3: because i think i can understand them the more they're different the scarier i am going to be
1: i think you have to clarify that in certain situations too not in other situations you wouldn't be i mean
0: like i've got black friends and asian friends i'm way more comfortable with than, friends. There's, there's the friends the
3: friends is the key word there you know it. Right. so you're okay gotcha okay i mean if you if you go to india and you see people behaving ways you don't understand or not familiar with, and they look different, than you and dress different than you, and they're what are they doing right now? You're you're going to be less, you're going to be more uneasy. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's the way it is. Yeah. So I don't know what it would be, but even if we leveled the playing field again, we would find the next most thing that's different, and we would put the full fury of right. I'm scared of this people now. As, as I don't know, I, like I, I'm I'm afraid that there's some built in you could call it. Uh, you know, human depravity or whatever. I'm afraid that we're always going to make other people the other no matter what. If you could make us more similar, we'd find the differences and, and polarize them is what I think we would do.
1: Well, well, how about this? Just as an example, uh, you know, all, there's tons of races that are cops. It's not just white cops, right? And I would mm-hmm. say majority of cops are good people, tons of races and, and male and female. I should clarify that. So there's male and female. All all races are are allowed to be cops. And I would say majority of cops are good. But I think we all, regardless, have some bias against cops going, oh d- uh, damn it. I wish they weren't, oh, I don't like that. He's gonna she's gonna give me a ticket. He's gonna give me a ticket, whatever's gonna yep. like we have a bias just because they're wearing a blue uniform. You know what I mean? Like that that like there's that already sets you up to dislike them. Like i I mean, but I, I have to admit, I went to jail. I was a minor with alcohol. You're, You're scared the of cops in the car. I'm very scared oh, yeah. of cops. I mean, I it's it's really funny. Like I I I feel like. I'm one of the most scared people of cops. Like the guys will tell you, I always, if I see a cop, I freak out, I get nervous, uh, slow down, <laughs> way too slow. Like yeah. the other, the and, other, and day, that's you
3: based on your personal experience. Now imagine right. your
1: culture and everybody you yes. know. How right.
3: powerful would that be? Oh, and so, how are you supposed to comply and trust them when they're telling exactly. you exactly? It's insane. Exactly,
1: I, I agree. I just, I, you know what? I really think a huge step that we can make is get rid of the stupid drug war. It's a failure. It's the dumbest thing, and it's causing so many african americans to be in jail forever <laughs> like it's <laughs> unbelievable it's and it, it sets a, it sets cops up in a bad position to have to go try and bust somebody for a little bit yeah, of That's weed? what their training is it's that's the stupidest stupidest thing we in the world. what we've
3: trained them to do so we'll uh, work of on course legalize
1: drugs i got into a. I, I think i told you all that but i got into a humongous argument with my dad about legalizing drugs, he's like, y- it was implying that my kids would do drugs if they legalize it. No matter what, they would do drugs. And here's my point: they're probably going to do drugs anyway. You know, what I, mean? It, I mean, I'm going to sure. try to teach my kids about life, but there's a really good chance. My parents told me drugs are horrible. Don't ever do them. Stay away from them. Don't have sex. Don't do this. Don't cuss. Don't do anything. I was like, and when I finally got around people, I was like, oh, this isn't a big deal. It's, my par- yeah, my it's parents not are the that liars. big of a deal that people. Yeah.
3: Use weed. Uh, Gay people got married. You said it was going to, nothing bad happened. Right. Gay people are married. America's. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just, it's (laughs) like, what? insane.
1: Nothing happened to you or your marriage at all.
3: And maybe my kids do drugs one day. Joe Rogan, uh, I was listening to the podcast. I I do drugs. It's just fine. It's just weed. It's whatever. I
1: was was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and he said something really funny. He said, maybe all the Christians were just trying to like hook gay people up. Like, don't get married it's not good yeah you know you do not want to be married to that guy or girl save or, them the just don't maybe, maybe the christians are trying to do gay people a solid like marriage is hard listen yeah. to our listen to several of our podcasts. listen to aaron gillespie podcast marriage ain't easy and a lot of times not fun <laughs> all right can we move on sorry yeah we can't I'm, r- I'm ripping right, so i tell I'm you ripping. what we're gonna do let's
3: move on we'll do news in a little bit my favorite part of the podcast i had to get through the intro we had to get through the guest all that stuff i'm always looking forward to the news that's where i want to be but there's another order of business that we often have to take care of and that is let's talk about the bc club and sometimes feature somebody who has been a long time supporter of the bc club that means somebody's paid money chosen to support this podcast and things we do and join our community and today um, we're going to talk to a guy named Andy, who's been in the BC Club for a long time, let's woo. see if he will answer our Skype call here. Andy, what's up? Do you hear me? Yeah. Do you see us? All right. I uh, know. Okay. Well, the video will come shortly. We're, we'll keep on rolling as we are. have. You been watching the show as we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have. Okay. So, and I Andy, have things to
2: say if I can, but I'll well, s- you shut will shut let me finish, and then you can talk next. Okay. Andy. <laughs> <So> yeah. Andy.
3: So, <laughs> Andy is a BC Club member, and he has been for how long? Andy, your turn to talk.
2: Oh. Uh, Some early 2015. Wow. Okay, yep. so
3: here's the interesting thing about Andy. <laughs> Andy here is been a long time. BC Club. He has a trans stamp of
1: the BC logo.
3: Yep. Yeah. Now here is the. Co- th- this is a, a legitimate coincidence here, uh, uh-huh. not a random coincidence, but a coincidence nonetheless. Andy is lowercase noises.
2: Indeed. Woo. Yeah. Lowercase
3: Noises, the <laughs> new band that we have signed is this guy right here. It's a one-piece awesome. band. It's Andy Othling. Uh, I, I assume that's the way you pronounce your last name. It Andy. is. Okay, Oathling, Othling, Othling. Andy Othling here Othling. from Lowercase yep. Noises, who's joining uh-huh. us from his studio, legitimately yeah. is a BC Club All-In member and has been for a long time. Uh-huh. Then we discovered his band, not <laughs> because he was in the BC Club, by the way. That is not a fast-tracked
2: a fast track for getting
3: signed but it did nonetheless happen for andy So andy lives in albuquerque new mexico and in case you missed the beginning of the show he's got a new video he's our new artist he's got a four-part series of amazing videos so just find his facebook page we shared it earlier today lowercase noises thank you for coming on but really thank you for giving us 50 bucks a month to listen to our stupid podcast why did you ever do that
2: well uh well well, okay. I'm glad I'm finally getting to answer this question because I didn't get to answer it a year ago for uh, a certain somebody.
3: <laughs> well, okay. All right. All right. Let's, let's, let's you talk might about go that. There first. You, yeah, let's do that. So you've been, <laughs> a, this is a really, this is very funny. Uh-huh. What, tell us what, tell us what you're talking about there.
0: Yeah. yeah who's a well, so certain there, somebody, oh, bitch?
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's you, Andy, Joey. Joey, you'd you be great <laughs> <quiet. laughs> let Andy talk. Freaking Joey. No, it's so, this was the first round of, uh, where you were letting all NBC clubbers be on the show for five minutes or whatever. So Uh we were scheduled. I looked up today. It was, it was in August of last year that we had it scheduled and I, I came on and I was prepared to tell you why the hell I was giving you $50 a month. (laughs) But, and okay, to set the stage, I was not feeling well at all. And I thought it would help me if I had some whiskey during this and that. So you were doing a
3: one-on-one interview with Joey that we would. Joey and uh, Taylor was
2: there too, but yeah. Um, (laughs) And it was just, I don't remember most of it. It was just some dumb questions that I was just kind of thrown off and had nothing to do with why I was giving money. And then the thing ended and you, Joey, you were like, uh, so do you have any questions for us? And I just kind of froze, was (laughs) not prepared. And I just said the dumbest thing I said, uh, is there, I'm in a band. Is there any way I could like get on your label? (laughs) And you were like, <laughs> and you said, "Oh, yeah, maybe just email me after this." And then I did, and I never heard back from you, so
4: it's
3: fine. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you find Joey's, uh, inter- you know, interaction with you on that on the on the thing there? Because we always like to make fun of Joey for doing it was,
2: those things. It but. was on par, par for Joey, par which for is, Joey, par, which that, is not. It was not fun for me. Not not good. <laughs> uh, was it? Un- that, what was it? Uncomfortable or what? I, I, I'm trying to you were trying to do those outlandish questions like would you rather this or that I, or this hated, and...
0: I mean I hated every single one of them because it's like well here's here's the thing is it's either get on there and cut up and say crazy shit or yeah it's so why are you in the BC club tell us what you like about well, that's Christian. what and I wanted to say kill. though right right <laughs> So here, here's that, but that's your chance. what he
3: wanted to say. But yeah. Let's give him a chance now. I, I know we're I mean, I know part of this is we've signed your band and it's gonna right. be huge, as I've said before. But uh-huh. why, Andy, do you
0: want and, Andy, do you want an apology? I'm sorry.
3: No,
2: not at all. Like I said, par <laughs> for Joey. I'm not offended.
3: But but why what about the B C Club? Like you've been in it. Why well, did you join it and what's it been like being in it from you
2: know? Oh, it's been it's been great. Well, I, if if I can I'd like to answer that and partially tie it into what david was saying earlier if that's okay yeah go for it um i just uh so i started listening to you guys when i was on tour in 2014 with another band i'm in and um basically i've been having issues with church for a while and um i mean i mean long story short it's just i was able it was like something i could hold on to while i was losing a lot of other things so i was, it just i feel like without the podcast i would have been losing all these things and just had nothing to hold on to and would have basically thrown the baby out with the bathwater potentially which i feel like that's been the hugest thing for me is just okay there are things i can be okay with letting go of but let me think about it some more and there was just a place where people were talking about that stuff yeah um Mm -hmm. and and there's and specifically matt there's been a couple things that you've said over the Hell years yeah. that, yeah. Um, that have stuck in my mind, uh, two of them, uh, w- one of them being, uh, if you're not changing your mind over time, then something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So that helped me. And it's something that I very much value now. And then the other thing being just what, you know, really wanting there to be a spectrum of church, which is what David was talking about. Yeah. It's just, and I mean, to, and to illustrate it, uh, this, this is weird to say people might think this is weird, but I don't go to church and my wife and kids do, um, which sounds potentially weirder than it is. It, we're, it, everything's fine with our family, but, you know, but but I go to a men's small group on Monday nights where we drink beer and we listen to a podcast ahead of time. And then we discuss it, which sounds kind of like basically something uh, he was proposing. So I got kind of excited yeah, hearing that. And you know, But sometimes we come and we listen to a liturgist podcast and we come and discuss it. Last night, we listened to one of the Robcast episodes with uh, Peter Rollins, which was cool. And we just sit around and drink beer and talk about it. And it's the best thing that I've experienced in a, you know, spiritual way. So that's why I'm in the club. And that's what I think about some of those things. So there you go.
3: That's awesome, Andy. That really, really is good. You know, and it it means more coming from you because you have a nice studio and microphone. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) same as yours. Right, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Andy's been up here. He's uh, coming to my house, and we've barbecued before. He came up for a meeting. We're very excited about his band. I really do imagine that it's going to be a successful thing. So for the last time tonight, I'll just ask you to... On your own, go explore what Lowercase Noises is. You discover it for yourself. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it, give some music away, and do some other stuff in the future. But really, thank you for being a BC Club member. And again, it's always a pleasure to, to work with people that uh, we know and encounter that yeah. share similar beliefs. But really, it's about the, the art and the music that you create. When when I came across it and discovered it, I thought, wow, this is really something special. And it's not well, because it's, you're in the BC yeah. Club, but I really do enjoy it, and I think people will too.
2: Well, and that's one of the things I value about because I wouldn't touch any other Christian label with a ten foot pole, honestly, purely because they themselves and the audiences they create really don't leave room for people to, like I said, change their ideas. You know, listening to Aaron Gillespie mm-hmm. talk about losing gigs because he said fuck and Michael Gunger losing gigs because he said uh oh, Genesis isn't literal. You know, that mm-hmm. stuff. I'm just like, I don't want that. I don't I don't want that at all. But I mean you guys and your audience are primed to I mean, hell, if I pulled a David Bazan and was an atheist, that would probably be really great for you guys. It would be a value add. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. Who, who cares about your soul, but it would be yeah. great yeah. for our label. <laughs> it'd move you it would sure. yeah, be good. But, <laughs> but I, have,
2: I have the freedom to do that with you guys, and I, that's what I like. So. Dude, All right, we're Andy, really excited, we're gonna man. let
3: you go because we got more important yep. things to do. And you know what the more important things are? I'll let you I do,
2: it. and I'm gonna be tuning back into it once we're done here. What is
3: the most important part of this podcast,
2: Andy? The damn news. All Woo! right, see ya. I love that guy.
1: <laughs> In a world where you decided to let Joey ask people who are helping you pay the bills. Questions like, have you ever smelled a butt?
0: <laughs> my name is Toby Morrell and this is the damn worse, news. A burp or a fart? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: trusted you with my family, man. My family, man.
0: You, you guys do not know the number of people that dropped out of the all-in club because of my questions, man. I cost us money big time.
2: <laughs> no problem. Just... All right.
1: What's what you, you got, it? Um, let's see here. I want to start with this first one. And this comes from a roving reporter. I got a few roving reporter ones actually recently, but, um, this comes from roving reporter, Sean Campbell. I thought this is, this is kind of neat. Uh, baby born with DNA from three people. Woo. And this comes from AP. This is, they're using a new technique. Scientists say the first baby has been born from a controversial new technique that combines DNA <laughs> from three people the mother, the father, and an egg donor. The goal, this is what's really cool about this, I think, the goal, or maybe it's pure evil. y'all. Just, I'll let the pastor and, and the nerd scientist decide. The goal was to prevent the child from inheriting a fatal genetic disease from his mother, who had previously lost two children to the illness. The birth of the boy is revealed in a research summary published by the Journal of Fertility and Sterility, um, scientists are scheduled to present the details soon The magazine New Scientist, which first reported the birth, said the baby was born five months ago to Jordanian parents And that they were treated in Mexico by a team of doctors uh, It is not clear where the child was born Anyway, the, te- the technique is not approved yet in the United States But um, they're trying to save lives And it's Trying to save lives is the ethical thing to do Trying to save lives is the ethical thing to do. What do y'all think about that? Splicing DNA together. Joey, you want to start there?
0: do you think you think there's a moral issue? I, I, I don't I don't think I can give a quick answer. My my immediate <laughs> answer would probably be no. Don't do it. No, no, no. No, it's not a moral issue. No, it's issue. not wrong. Okay. Um, but I, I I feel like that's too too heavy of a question just to give a quick answer, but that is my quick answer. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um. You, I'm on a train lately. If this makes sense.
0: Wait. You're on a train. A train. Oh shit. I Just can't even hear it. Station. I know. I can't even
3: see anything. That's so cool. Here's what I. Here is a one thing I've been using to help me assess stuff lately. If something seems inevitable, culturally, nationally, whatever it is, you have to really consider what it would be to oppose it, let's say gay marriage, let's say the end of slavery, I'm not trying to make a a case here about anything, but uh, 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 banning smoking in public places, whatever it is, when you see that something seems to be inevitable, you have to really, really care a ton about it and really feel like you have special knowledge if you're going to really want to oppose it. So when it's going to talk about curing diseases and using this, whether it's using embryos or stem cells, Multiple DNA. These things sound scary, but they tend to. It usually these things that we talk about on the fringes, especially Christian, from the outset, tend to take the fearful route and say, "No, no, 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 no." And then it usually comes to pass, and then it's totally fine. You, you know, I'm not saying there's not things to oppose. Abortion, uh, there's there's things to oppose for sure. But when something seems obviously inevitable, and the whole cultural train is going a certain direction. I mean, you got to really think about it before you're going to, like, why are you going to waste all this time opposing something that you're probably going to lose? And you might, in the end, you usually look looking dumb, like you were the last holdout. And it's fine. Right. And I think that with bioethics, that's going to be the way it is. If we can save people, eventually you're going to go, oh, I was the guy that was saying don't. Right. That was weird.
1: I think it'll, I I don't know. (laughs) I think it'll all come down to when it happens to you personally, it'll just get more and more. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and
3: when it comes to you personally, it, yeah, you'll just go. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, can I have a baby that works, that doesn't die? Yeah. I want to do that.
1: Right. You just will. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now, like if that happened, if you knew one of your kids was going to die in the next six months, if you didn't do a treatment that infused other people's DNA, you would go, yeah, do it.
3: Well, it's playing God, but. So is but, everything? But, I mean, so, I mean, the playing God argument is a goofy one because it's like, well, what about when we put you made eyeglasses? Right. What about when we, you know, when we started doing IVF? What about? I mean, right, every right, right, everything right. along the spectrum of using technology to improve human thriving has been accused of playing God, and this not
1: Everything is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's funny too thinking about this. Like, it. I think it's. Easier. I know this sounds crazy. Maybe it doesn't sound crazy. What do y'all think? Y'all think it's easy for people to be okay with it because it's DNA as opposed to like semen? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> uh, you know I'm I'm being serious though. Like, you know, if they said, oh, well, you can avoid a baby doing this because, oh, just put this other person's semen in you or use this other person's eggs. You know, mm-hmm. that, that feels weird. That DNA, nobody really gets it. Oh, some Helix thing. Oh, yeah, I don't shoot that in me. I don't care. My it's like a vaccine, right? Like you don't you don't ever you don't think about dna necessarily being like something from a it is from another person but it's not the same as like eggs and semen i guess yeah it's a little <laughs> bit easier to swallow meaning that technology is getting better and better to where you won't even understand it and you'll go okay whatever you know what i mean I like love, it's, just, it's not gonna i matter. love how
0: it's i love how it's eggs and semen for you and not eggs and sperm that's funny
1: yeah and toby said it's
3: easier to swallow sorry <laughs> it's just worth pointing out i know everybody else already called it. i didn't want to have to bring it's, it up just trying to acknowledge the reality that you said it was easier to swallow i don't, I don't know what else to do
0: you're a sick bastard I know, toby but,
3: yeah, I, I, <laughs> toby I know. said it not mad i know i didn't say it are, i'm just acknowledging what everybody in america is thinking when you y'all, say it. Are, y'all are <laughs> uh, y'all are let's uh let's y'all are let, let terrible that, uh, friends. i think that'll have to be the end of the news based on t- that 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 might have to shut it down we're trying to keep on time
0: well, let, let me lift our spirits up by just tipping our hats to Ben Nib and Christopher. That was a big and, load. And yeah. <laughs> it, guys, <laughs> y'all can eat shit, all right? <laughs> but uh, Ben Nib and Chris and Kate Abbott, they have been supporting us for a while at a huge level. I almost feel like I shouldn't even reveal the amount of money that they have given us because it's embarrassing to us. But we want to thank you guys, Ben, and then Chris and Kate. For being a part of the BC Club at a level that's just unspeakable, it's unimaginable. Yep. Toby, can you close us out with the blessing? We're we're leaving that quick. Yeah, we're done. We're we
3: we're, we're, we're good. We've had a great episode. You've done a good job, mostly. And hey, you know Matt. What?
0: Matt, about me? What you've done?
3: You've done some. You've had some good moments, I think. <laughs> you've had your moments. You're good. All right, Bad hey, Matt, Christian Podcast. Matt, Go to the, whoa, 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 I'll real, tell you real what. Quick. Go to thebcclub.com dot if you want to find out more about what it is we do. Go ahead, Joey.
0: I just wanted to say congratulations. Eight pounds, twenty-one inches. Uh, Bridget texted me. <laughs>
3: oh, she already had the baby during the podcast. Yeah. I told her not to disturb me. Yeah. I said, I said, I didn't think about the daggum baby coming. I told her, listen, I'm doing the damn podcast. Please well, don't bother me like you always do. Well, congrats. You, are it's you telling me wow. that she already gave birth and Instagram the? I'm looking at pictures
1: on Facebook right now, man. Oh, shit. Man, that's so beautiful daughter, (laughs) man. Beautiful daughter.
3: (laughs) All right, get us out of here. I got to get down to the hospital.
1: (laughs) Lord, in in your hands, we (laughs) receive this baby. And thank you, Father, for this (laughs) precious gift that we will try to take care of. Amen.